Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. And I want to introduce you, if you have not already been introduced, to an aircraft that is the largest U.S. military aircraft in service today, being used every day uh, by the U.S. Air Force and by, I believe, some other branches. This is the C-5 Galaxy aircraft. Has anybody ever been on one of these things by chance? Yeah? Yeah? I have only saw it in an air show parked one time. They had both of the ends opened up. You could walk through and take a look. But let me just give you a, an introduction to this incredible aircraft. Go ahead and hit that play button. This is a video, about a minute and a half, of this plane taking off from a runway. And if we can get audio, please play that uh, in the background here, uh, not too loud because it is screaming loud. So the C-5 Galaxy aircraft has a payload capacity of 135 tons, 135 tons. It's enough cargo space inside to carry two M1 Abrams tanks. The equivalent of that is 16 Humvees or three Black Hawk helicopters. The fuel tanks in this aircraft are enough to fuel the average American vehicle to make 130 round trips between New York and Los Angeles, also enough to make 31 trips around the world. So, Caitlin, what I'd like you to do is, when that video's over, let's swap over to the photos, and then when you show the photos, come back to the video again. Thank you. The cargo compartment of the C-5 Galaxy could hold 100 uh, Beetle Volkswagens, could hold 58 Cadillacs, or six standard Greyhound buses. Each one of its five, uh, four uh, engines gulps approximately 42 tons of air per minute. The cargo compartment is also large enough. There's a, a tank, M1 tank, coming out of the front of this thing. The uh, cargo compartment is large enough to hold an eight-lane bowling alley. The total engine produced, uh, or the total engine power produced, is more than 800 average cars. Uh, its fuel capacity is equal to the volume of an average five-room house. Just the environmental control system, in other words, the air conditioning and the heating, is enough to cool 24 tons, that is, eight average-sized homes, air conditioning. In fact, somebody did the math here and figured out that Christopher Columbus and his three ships that sailed the ocean blue in 1492, his entire crew of 90 people and all of their equipment could travel in the upper deck of the C-5 and leave the entire cargo 
bay open uh, for chickens, goats, horses, and trinkets. Okay, so let's go back to that video, if you could, and skip it to the part where it is about to take off. And I just want you to consider, this thing, again, large enough to hold six Greyhound buses. I'm hurting you tonight, aren't I, Caitlin? I'm sorry. Let's skip ahead about halfway. So my question tonight, how in the heaven does that thing get off the ground? Just watch that again. I just want you to appreciate that that massive aircraft, probably larger than this building, is exiting the gravitational forces of Earth just through the power of physics. Now, let me ask you this question tonight as you appreciate how much force it takes to get that thing off the ground. So think about this with me. All right, thank you so much. Has the law of gravity been canceled? It has not. Gravity is still in effect. All right, there's no magic pass for the C-5 aircraft that it doesn't have to deal with gravity. Gravity is not canceled. It is still a law every time. Right, Mom? (laughs) The law of gravity is not rescinded. It has not been canceled. But... The law of gravity in this case is superseded by a more powerful law. It is the law of aeronautics and aerodynamics that overcomes the power of the law of gravity, even for a C-5 aircraft that can carry two tanks or six buses. Now, in the scripture we're going to read tonight, I'm praying you'll see what I saw and uh, And get the illustration right, is that there is another law that keeps us bound. And it is not that the law of sin and death has been canceled. It is still in great effect that we see every single day. But there is another law. There is a higher law. A set of laws that have been put in place by our Savior, Jesus Christ, that supersede the laws of death. And we're going to read tonight in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as we make our way finally through the end of this book of 1 Corinthians. As Paul reminds us of the power of resurrection. This is really an Easter Sunday sermon, but how many understand every Sunday ought to be Resurrection Sunday? That every Wednesday night ought to be a reminder of the life and the power we have in Christ. And that's what this is going to be tonight. to supersede the power of death. Let's read together 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 20. It says, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man, capital M, also came resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die... Even so, in Christ, all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruit, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Paul reaching a crescendo 
of joy and victory in what Christ offers tonight. Let's pray for just a moment. Lord, we come by the blood of Jesus. We thank you for the power of resurrection, life, and truth. Oh, God, we're asking that you would help us to be found in Christ, superseding the power of sin and death in our lives. God, let us overcome by the precious blood that was shed and by the power of resurrection life in your son, Jesus Christ. We give you glory. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's look, first of all, tonight at uh, two kinds of people. So what we have, if we, if we hit the rewind button just a tad, I'm I, trying to, uh, to keep this, uh, this series <laughs> uh, within the year 2020 <laughs> so we can start something new in the new year. And so to do that, I had to skip over just a few verses in this chapter. And uh, just to give you an idea of where uh, the context that Paul is speaking from, in the previous few verses, he has been confronting one of the great heresies of his day. And that is called the Platonic heresy. Now, the only time that we ever use this word in modern language anymore is when we talk about relationships, right? If you say you're having a platonic relationship with somebody, what does that mean? It means non-physical, right? It means that we're just friends. Platonic means non-physical. And if it is not a platonic relationship, then you better be married, <laughs> right? So a platonic relationship. So this idea comes from the Greek philosopher named Plato. And Plato's followers, of course, they had the idea, they had the aversion against things that were physical. In other words, they were in love with this idea of the non-physical, the, the spiritual, the uh, things that, it's kind of the new age philosophy we see gaining traction in our world today, where, it, you know, the, the supernatural, uh, invisible force of nature, this is kind of the, in the same vein as the Platonists. They would say to us that, that uh, the physical is not that important. What's really important is the spiritual. Now, we are not here tonight to say that spiritual things are less important, but we are here to say that when it comes to human beings, which you are, and which Jesus Christ was, that human beings are a union of physical and non-physical entity, right? That's how God created us. He created all of the plant life and animal kingdom. They all have physicality, but without, uh, but lacking the non-physical connection to God. That human, the Bible said that God breathed into Adam the breath of life. Separating Adam and Eve from the rest of the animal kingdom, they were created in the image of God with this masterful union of physical and spiritual. Everybody with me so far? So the Platonic view of the world would, would seek to minimize the importance of the physical in order to maximize the importance of the spiritual. It is an unbalanced view of humanity. And now there are people in churches at Paul's time who are bringing this philosophy and this view of life into the church. The Platonists were teaching that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was not really all that important. What he did on the cross was amazing. He died for the sins of all. And to the Platonists, they were saying, that is a great thing. The resurrection is not so important. In fact, to us, 
it's really not a big deal if he stays in the tomb. And the reason they did that was to deny the resurrection of Jesus. To Paul, he brings a forceful disagreement, a forceful response. It is among the most strongest language in the entire Bible as Paul defends physical resurrection of Christ. In other words, that his resurrection, it wasn't an apparition or a ghost floating out of the tomb to the disciples. That Jesus, when he was resurrected, it was not just his life force coming back and revealing itself to the disciples. To Paul, it is absolutely critical. And to you and I, it is also critical that we get this right, that the resurrection of Jesus is a physical resurrection. Listen to Paul's defense of the physical resurrection. This is skipping back just a few verses. Same chapter, verse 14. If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God. We have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He did not raise up. In fact, the dead do not rise. Paul arguing their point for them. Here's verse 17. If Christ is not risen, then your faith is futile. In other words, it's useless. Why have any faith in all at all if resurrection is spiritual only and not physical? You are still in your sins if resurrection is false. 18, those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they have perished. In other words, loved ones who have passed on, those that we have gone to their funerals and we have taken comfort in the fact that they were in Christ, we know that they are with the Lord. He's saying that if physical resurrection has not taken place, then that comfort is false. Verse 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. In other words, if Christ is not risen from the dead, if his body did not get up out of that tomb, then you ought to feel sorry for every Christian because uh, we, we ought to be the object of scorn and pity all around the world if resurrection is not true. Why? Because we're putting our faith in a dead Messiah. That's how important this, uh, this doctrine is to the Apostle Paul. This is critical tonight. When we talk about resurrection, this is central to our faith, to our salvation, and to our future in Christ. Paul spends this entire chapter reminding us how critical this is. So what does it mean for us tonight, and why am I taking the time to explain this? Because it has to do with you. It speaks about your future. God's redemptive plan includes your flesh and bone. Have you considered that tonight? Your body is important to God. When God went to save Jesus from the tomb, He did not just rescue the non-physical part of Jesus, not just His spirit, but God resurrected the body of Jesus Christ, and to this day, the same Jesus that was uh, crucified, hands, holes in His hands and feet, He was the same Jesus, his body that went to the tomb, that came out of that tomb, was risen up to the Father into the clouds, and that same body is alive today at the Father's right hand. 
That's what physical resurrection means. And Paul describes the resurrection of Jesus as the first fruits. In other words, there's more to follow. Well, who's he talking about? He's talking about those who are in Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but I have been to funerals where good-intentioned people say silly things, where they say, and, and maybe if it's, a, if it's an open casket funeral, and there's a, a body, you know, a, a dead corpse laying in front of you, and, and a well-intentioned minister will say something like this, don't think that your beloved family member, friend, don't think that this body is them. This is just a shell. They've gone on to be with the Lord. Now, that's well-intentioned. That's meant to bring comfort, and I'm not accusing them of blasphemy or something. But that's not quite accurate according to the Bible. That body that is lying before us in the casket, you know the reason why Christians traditionally, why we place emphasis on treating the body well after it dies? Why do we do that? Why do we spend so much time and effort and money? Our family just <laughs> unfortunately had to go through this with my father-in-law, and his wife had to pay thousands and thousands of dollars to get a plot of land, a gravestone, a casket, nice suit, you know, and all of this money, money, money to, for a burial. Why do we spend so much money on these things? Why? Because we are honoring that physical body. If you go to a Christian cemetery, nearly any place in the world, y'all are getting nervous because I'm talking about cemeteries, any Christian cemetery has headstones that face the east. A traditional Christian cemetery has headstones that face east. Why? Because we believe that when Christ returns, He will come from the east. The eastern star which rises and the resurrection that is described in this chapter describes how physically dead bodies will rise out of the ground to meet their Savior facing the east. We honor the body. Why? Because the body is part of God's redemptive plan. Death is the natural result of sin. And because we all live under the curse of sin, at least in this life, the gravity of that sin pulls us all to the grave. Until a greater law. Until the law of life. Until eventually we get enough speed and enough air flowing over those wings. Until Christ returns, right? Until that happens, listen, that, 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 that we will exist to, be, to experience death as it is now. When our body goes to the ground and our spirit goes to be with the Lord, that is no doubt, that's a wonderful thing. To be present with Jesus, that's, not a, that's not, no small thing, right? We enter into the joy of our Lord, but not physically. But at the same time, we have to recognize that's not the end goal. God has a greater purpose for us that when resurrection finally takes place, that body and spirit will be reunited in a physical reality. That not just bodies, but the entire heaven, the entire earth, the entire universe will experience resurrection. This is so important for us to understand. Listen to Paul's explanation here in verse 21. For since by man came death. Who's that talking about? That's Adam, of course, my namesake. 
For since by man came death, by man, capital M, also came the resurrection of the dead. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. So here is where we see the two groups. Two groups. That everyone in the planet, everyone in all of history is either in one group or the other. Either we are in Adam or we are in Christ. So what I, what I want to make sure you understand tonight is that we are either in one or the other. There is no way to be in both, in Adam and in Christ. No, you can't be both. In the same way, you can't be in the United States and in Canada at the same time. That is impossible, unless you straddle the line. <laughs> I was in, Pastor, I was in four corners one time, and I was in four states at the same time. Okay, let's make it different. You can't be in America and China at the same time. In the same way, when God looks down at the world, he only sees two groups. He does not see rich and poor. He doesn't see dark meat and white meat. He, he, doesn't see, he, he doesn't see tall and skinny or tall and short. He doesn't see fat and skinny, thank God. He only sees in Adam or in Christ. Those are the only two groups that God sees. And what Paul is describing here to the Corinthian church is that we all start in Adam. It is possible to live your entire life in Adam. There's a lot of people, in fact, who will live their entire life in Adam. It's, it's possible to grow up, to have fun, to experience life, to be educated, to get employed, to make a living, raise a family. It's possible to have a retirement to experience all manner of things in this life and remain in Adam. It's possible. Now, think about how, how it is that people gain entry into this group. The only way to become in Adam is to be born into Adam, right? All members of the human, human race are born into Adam. Well, similarly tonight, the only way to find yourself in Christ is to be born again into Christ. And like we saw in that video tonight, sometimes a new birth is uncomfortable. It's difficult. There's pain involved, just like a physical birth, that there is a discomfort, there's a stretching process, there's growth, there's difficulty, there's pain, there's all these things connected with the idea of birth. But Jesus said that unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. Unless we experience this new birth, we will remain in Adam. God is classifying the world, and he only sees these two groups. Other places, these two groups are described in different ways. The sheep and the goats. Interesting illustration. If you've ever been around sheep and goats, you can testify Goats are stubborn. They don't want to follow a leader. They'll eat any kind of trash off the ground. A sheep, what, what's the defining characteristic of a sheep? Sheep are good followers. Right? They stay with the group. <laughs> Which one are you? Sheep or a goat? In Adam or in Christ? Jesus described these two groups again. He said there are those on the wide road that leads to destruction. 
or the narrow road which leads to life. It's easy to drive on the wide road. Don't have to really pay attention. You could just put the wheel between your knees and text all day long. Straight road, straight and wide. And man, easy to drive on that road. No bumps on the freeway. That leads to destruction. Jesus said the road that leads to life, though, is narrow. You have to want to be on it. It's easy to be distracted and find your way, find yourself lost. Jesus uh, spoke a parable, and he said he spoke about two groups, the, the wise and the foolish girls, the ones who prepared for the, for the bridegroom and those who did not, the ones who trimmed their wicks and made sure there was oil and those who didn't. He spoke about those who, uh, who came into the wedding feast with the right clothing on, and to the ones that showed up with the wrong clothes on. And what did he do to those who were not prepared for the wedding feast? Get out of here. You don't belong. Noah teaches us about those who are in the ark and those who are in the flood. There is a vast separation between those two experiences, right? Inside the ark, there is safe harbor. There is a blessing. There is a, a whole lot of poo-poo to clean up. But at least you're alive. Outside of the ark, there is nothing but devastation and death. Jesus said to some, he will say, enter in to the joy of the Lord, you good and faithful servants. To others, he will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. So we have to ask tonight, which group are you in? That is not something that I can give you a, a, a test and fill in the bubbles and I can determine on your behalf. I can't do that. I can't scan you with an app and determine whether you are in Adam or in Christ. I can look at the fruits of your life. I can see what you produce. But only God sees the heart, right? Tonight, let me ask you, are you in Adam or are you in Christ? You can't be both. What happens to those that are still in the Adam group? Well, the same thing that happened to Adam. He died. Well, Pastor, but he still lived for another 900 years or something, right? Yes, but the process of death began in his life. The process which eventually led to his death and every descendant after him, death will come for us all. Ezekiel 18.20, the soul who sins shall die. Remember, we started talking about gravity, right? You jump off of the cliff, gravity will win. You slip on a puddle of dog pee, <laughs> gravity will win. The soul who sins shall die. John 8, 24, Jesus said, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. This is not, this shouldn't be a surprise, you know? We, uh, people who are in Adam, people who don't read the Bible, people who are not spiritually seeking, they want to avoid the topic of death. They want to, let, let's talk about something else. Can we skip to the next sermon yet, Pastor? And yet, the Bible says that this is actually something worthy of our consideration and our time and our thought process because it will help us to prepare and to do something. I have good news for you. You don't have to remain in Adam. 
there is hope tonight. There is hope if you will be found in Christ. Again, this is a positional statement. It's the idea of two buckets or two groups of people. You are either in one or in the other. And if you are not in Christ, then you are in that group that is being led to destruction. But the hope is tonight that Romans chapter 5, where it says that while we were yet sinners, Christ came and died for those who are in Adam, the ungodly. He died for you long before you ever had a thought in your brain about Jesus. Isn't that good news? Remember in the last message how I said you have to understand the bad news before you can appreciate the good news. See, this is why the, the good news waits till the end of the sermon. Because then we walk out having some hope. This is what Paul said in Romans chapter 8. I love this scripture with all of my heart. If you ever uh, practice uh, uh, memorization, this would be a good chapter to memorize. At one time, I had this whole chapter memorized, but I've forgotten most of it by now. Romans 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. See, that group, that position has changed. And what is the mark of those who are in Christ Jesus? They do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now watch this next verse, because this is where this illustration came from. Verse 2, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ, Jesus, has made me free from the law of sin and death. Now, let me ask you this question. Just because you get saved, does it mean that death is not eventually going to come touch you? That's true only if Christ comes back before you die. Right? And that, that's very possible. He could come back in, in about five minutes. Better be ready for that. However, if he does not return before the end of your earthly days, death will come visit us all. That's the law of sin and death. It has not been removed. However, verse 2, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, 152 tons can exit the runway. And even though the law of sin and death, we still deal with it. We still deal with sickness. We still deal with illness. We still have COVID-19. We still have pandemics and pain and difficulty, broken bones, heartbreak. We have all these things that we're dealing with pulling us down. But I'm telling you, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus supersedes the law of death. And you can overcome death. Through Christ, when you are in Him. That's some good preaching tonight. Listen to what verse 3, here again, Romans 8, verse 3. What the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Paul is describing these two sets of laws. The law of sin and death that comes from being in Adam. But when you are born again, we enter into a new arena, a new law. See, for, for thousands of years of human history, man never got off the ground. The only way to get off the ground was to climb the mountain, right? And even still, you're at the top of the mountain, you're still standing on the ground. For thousands of years of human experience, 
And then, you know, a couple hundred years ago, they figured out how to harness hot air from a fire. Over in France, I think they figured that out. And the hot air balloon started rising. And for the first time, man could like, whoa, feet off the ground. Gravity, there's a chance that gravity can be beaten. And how did they defeat the law of gravity? Through the law of physics and aerodynamics and the difference of heat. Uh, uh, the hot air uh, uh, is warmer than the outside atmosphere, and it lifts us up. And then about 100 years ago, a pair of boys from North Carolina put together a bicycle with some contraptions on both sides. And for the first time in human history, they were able to rise above the power of gravity for a few moments. I was reading about the C-5 airplane, and uh, one interesting fact that they said was that the entire event of Orville and Wilbur Wright could have taken place inside the cargo hold of the C-5. The entire flight. So a hundred years ago, they made a breakthrough, didn't they? They figured out the airfoil, the aerodynamics, the, the area of low pressure above the wing and the higher pressure underneath and caused this incredible miracle of physics. And for a few moments, they broke the law of gravity. They didn't break it. They super with a new law through time and innovation and technology. And look at that behemoth that is flying off of the airway today. Now, here's what I'm telling you tonight. For thousands of years of human history, the only law that we knew was sin and death. The only way, the only possible way to even make it a little bit better was through a system of sacrifice and bloodshed in a temple that was that was employed with sinful men and a system of laws and regulations. And even though it had some effect, they were able to kind of get a little boost off the ground for a short time. But then Christ came and he instituted a new law, a new law which is better than the blood of bulls and goats and sacrifices, a great high priest who can identify with our sins, with our, with our temptations. A new a great high priest who feels what we feel because he is God in human flesh. And on that day, 2,000 years ago, he died on the cross. And three days later, on that beautiful Sunday morning, the law of sin and death was overcome. And when you and I live our lives in the faith of Christ Jesus, then we can ride on his coattails. We can be in the jet stream of that C-5. We can be, have you ever seen one of those glider airplanes? In, in, I don't know if they do it here in Virginia, but they have a service over there in Arizona where you can, you can uh, ride in a glider airplane. Very fascinating. I would like to try this someday. Basically, there's, a, there's an airplane with a tow rope. Sounds very... In North Carolina, you know, redneck. Uh, but the, it's an airplane with a tow rope hanging off the back attached to a glider plane. That first airplane flies up into the atmosphere, gets about 5,000 feet, and then the tow rope falls off. And you're in this glider airplane, silent, no engine, just wings to keep you soaring. And you can stay up there for hours, riding on the, on the just like an eagle does, on the rising uh, heat of, of uh, Arizona sunshine. What I'm saying tonight is that Christ was the C5 that escaped the gravity of this planet. We're on the tow rope, man. And we can follow in his footsteps. We can follow in his jet stream. 
And we can soar when we are in Christ. Tonight, what this means for our future is everything. It means everything to us. It means that not only are we free from the law of sin and death, it means that we have a future. Listen to what Paul says as we close. Jesus, this is again chapter 15, verse 24. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. Here's Paul delivering his eschatology, his view of the future. He puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. That sounds pretty good to me. The rule and the authority and the power of this world is deadly. In all the places of the world where men are given power, you know what? Power corrupts men. Even in, even in a, a system like ours in the United States where we have democracy and a Republican government and we've done our best, checks and balances, but still we see corrupt politicians exercising power and authority and tyranny. But then comes the end. When Jesus delivers, delivers the kingdom to his Father, he puts an end to all earthly rule, all earthly kingdoms, all earthly power will be subservient to one, the name of Jesus Christ. He must reign, verse 25, till he has put all enemies under his feet. The battle between heaven and hell will be a very short one. The battle of Armageddon with all the armies of the earth splayed in all their grandeur before one guy on a horse riding on a white horse from the sky and all of the militaries of the world aligned against him in the battle of Armageddon outside of Jerusalem. I tell you, it will be momentaneous. Snap it off a finger and Christ will reign. But verse 26, the last enemy that will be destroyed. No more pain, no more tears, no more sorrow. This is what we have to look forward to in Christ. In Adam, we have nothing to look forward to except pain, agony, suffering, and torment. But in Christ, in Christ, we have resurrection to look forward to. And that ought to bring you great comfort. That ought to bring you great joy, great boldness. That ought to bring you great encouragement. In the midst of pandemic and difficulty and whatever we go through, the final enemy will be defeated. That's what we get when we read the last page. We find great victory there. So hold on, dear brother. Hold on, dear sister. Don't give up. Resurrection awaiting us all. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes tonight. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vbph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.